At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or a trunk device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in the Ecclesiastes for several weeks now, and uh, today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 18. So go ahead and turn there with me. As you're turning there, I want to ask you the question, have you ever heard the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? <laughs> you chuckle, so that means you, you're very familiar with it. You know, it's, it's the phrase that, that calls out the practice of gauging our success or failure based on comparing ourselves with our neighbors, right? It's this comparison game where we look at what we have and we will look at what the person to the left or to the right of us have, and we either are better than them or we're worse off than them. And it's almost as though keeping up with the Joneses is this, is this never-ending process of being driven to have more stuff or better stuff than your neighbor. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that this is an exhausting, life-draining process that causes people to be consumed by greed and materialism. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we can all agree and we can all confess that at some time in our life, we've been guilty of trying to keep up with the Joneses whether it's trying to have our, our, our kid be on the, the travel team or making sure that our kids gets into the right school or that we live on the right block or that we have the right job or we have the right car. You know, what's so crazy about this, this idea of keeping up with the Joneses is that it, it embeds this idea of greed and materialism in the very fabric of our culture. To be American means to pursue greed and materialism. And it's almost as though those two things, greed and materialism, are celebrated as virtues in our culture. We are told that greed and materialism bring life and brings peace, but we know from our experience, right? You know from your experience that they don't bring peace. Material possessions never bring peace. They only bring more problems. Like we know this, right? We know it from our experience, and yet, if we're not careful, we still find ourselves chasing after the next thing. Chasing after the bigger house, or the better job, or the better spouse. But this pursuit of, and finding peace in material possessions is actually pointless and it's meaningless which is actually the conclusion that King Solomon makes in the passage that we're going to look at today. You know, in this series, Smoke and Mirrors, we've been taking a look at the way in which people view life from a secular viewpoint, which is what Solomon talks about. He says there's two ways to view life. You can either view life as under, under the sun, meaning that all that we have in this life, this is all there is, that there is no afterlife, there is no eternity, there is no God, but this is all there is. And what Solomon has been doing, he's been dismantling this view, that, saying that life and meaning cannot be found from a secular point of view. 
He's been saying it's all smoke and mirrors, right? It's all just the shadow game where it feels like peace is continually moving from this place to this place to this place. And as we chase after this peace that's found in a lot of different things, all we end up with is emptiness. And so what King Solomon's been doing is he's been breaking down, he's been dismantling this under the sun view, this secular view. And as as Solomon has been walking, he's been talking about also another way to look at life, not as under the sun, but as under heaven, as though God is the creator of all things and God is moving all things, that, that life has purpose, life has meaning, and it can only be found in God. And so what Solomon's been doing is he's been breaking down these smaller views of secularism that that we experience in our life. He's broken down already naturalism, intellectualism, hedonism, and last week we broke down individualism and ambition. And today what we're going to talk about and we're going to see that um, what our world says brings life and peace only brings more vexation, which is what Solomon says today. So today we're going to look at materialism. We're gonna see that life cannot be found in greed and possessions. But life can be found when we submit ourselves to God and to his ways. Today what we're gonna see inherent in the character of God is that God is generous. And I hope we know this in our minds. If you've been in church at all, you know that God is generous. Right? We know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know that it's God's grace that we breathe in every single day. And when the sun comes up in the morning, we know that it's God's grace that is there. And when the sun goes down at night, we know that it's God's grace that is there. And as we sang earlier, it's the breath in our lungs that is a gift of grace from God. So we're constantly receiving grace from God, even though we don't want to sometimes acknowledge it, and the world definitely doesn't want to acknowledge it, but we have to understand that God is generous. Even when sometimes in life our posture shows that we're not convinced of that truth, especially when we're challenged to live life as though we live under the sun and not under heaven. And so today, I want us to begin by looking at the frustration that comes from living life under the sun as it relates to material possessions. And I want to ask us this question as we look beginning in verse 18. The question is, why don't I feel like I have enough? Why don't I feel like I have enough? Look, let's look at verse 18 of chapter 2. King Solomon writes, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is 
vanity. Why is it that we don't ever feel like we have enough? You will never feel like you have enough if you live life under the sun. Because all of that never produces actual life. It doesn't produce peace. And what we see here is King Solomon is giving us, us, giving us confessions of a workaholic. Right? He says he hated the toil under the sun. All that he did, all of the work, as he worked out his wisdom, as he worked out all of that, and as he worked hard and, and to achieve and to get more and to have more, what did all of this work gain him? It gained him a lot of stuff without peace. A lot of stuff that had to be managed. A lot of stuff that had to be cared for. And a lot of stuff that was going to be passed on down to the next generation. And here's the scary thing about it. Is, as, as Solomon is looking beyond himself, he realizes that all that he has amassed, all that he has acquired, is going to be passed on down to the next person. And he has no idea if all of his work is going to be placed in the hands of someone that's wise or a fool. And he says, what's the purpose of all of this? Whoever gets all of my stuff may be wise or a fool. And regardless, this is all vanity. We see inherently in this idea of work, there's a frustration that the world has to offer in the pursuit of work. Right? If we work as under the sun, there's inherent frustration. Let me just give you a quick example. Think back to those designers that worked really, really hard on the original iPhone. Right, they worked really, really hard. They gave their, their minds over, they gave their time over, they gave their best in order to develop this brand new technology with this beautiful touch screen and all of that, and now you have the iPhone. And guess what, as soon, and especially in the technology world, as soon as you create or you make what you've put together, it immediately becomes obsolete. You see the frustration in work? Work is frustrating because it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do anything. You give your life over to it and then it becomes meaningless. There's frustration inherent within the pursuit of work when it's done under the sun, not when it's done under heaven, which we'll get to in a minute. But not only is there frustration in work, there's frustration in the pursuit of possessions. Inherent in God's design is a frustration in the pursuit of possessions when it's under the sun. We bought a house several years ago. One of the houses that we bought, we bought it from a woman um, who was the original owner of the house. And she raised her kids in the house, her and her husband, and her husband passed away several years before that, before we bought the house. And this woman had a, a passion for beautiful flower floral arrangements. She had, had like used so much money to, to make all these beautiful fake floral arrangements. And I remember walking through the house and we were in the basement. She had, the basement was set up like as this museum of beautiful floral arrangements. She had, she had built like stages and stacks so that she had like rows and rows and rows and rows of these floral arrangements. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in floral arrangements. And she was selling because she had to move and downsize to um, be a little bit closer to her family. And I thought to myself, I remember walking through the house, man, thinking, like the house smelled like a nursery, like Frank's Nursery and Crafts, remember that place? 
You know how you walk through that place and it has that smell? Her house smelled just like that. I'm like, man, we're walking into a beautiful craft store. And I'll never forget after we, uh, it was like the week after we had um, agreed upon a price and all that other stuff, I drove by the house and guess what I saw outside the house? At the curb, waiting for the trash, were all those flower arrangements. The pursuit of possessions is frustrating. Why? Because in the end, everything that you pursue is gonna be kicked to the curb. How many times, how many times does a, a, a parent die and leave the house to be inherited by the kids? And what do the kids do? They have to go through room by room and throw it all away. That, that's the truth. I don't, I don't care how much you think that, that your kids are gonna care for this and they're gonna give special attention to that. In the end, what happens is that what we think is important gets sent to the curb to be picked up by the trash. That is frustrating. You should feel that frustration today. Then you should say, well, why work? Why do anything? Exactly. That's exactly what Solomon wants us to get to today. The pursuit of stuff, the pursuit uh, will never fulfill you. Even though we may think that our lives will be different, maybe we think that our experience will be different, I want you to know that it does not produce life. It does not produce meaning. All it does is pr produce sorrow and vexation. I love, I love how Solomon uses these deep words that we don't normally hear a lot. And this word vexation is like immense irritation. The more you pursue those things, it's going to leave you with irritation and sleepless nights. That's what he says, this promise to you. Jesus also jumps on the scene in the New Testament when he sees a young man um, and the crowd is surrounded him. There's a young man that wants Jesus to handle an inheritance dispute. That the, the, one of the brothers doesn't feel like it's being handled properly, so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, fix this. And this is what Jesus says. Tells him the story, this parable of a, a rich man in Luke chapter 12, verse 18. And he says, I will, I will do this, as he sees this, this man producing and, and sees him being very successful in life. He says, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. See, the process of desiring more, building bigger barns and working really, really hard just so that you can retire is a process of where you never actually really enjoy the things that you have. That we're, instead of managing things, we're being run by them. You see, the story of Jesus hits close to home because we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded by messages that say that you need to have this and you need to have that. We, where, it, where we live in a world where advertisers want us to take wants and turn them into needs, so much so that every year, advertisers spend $253.6 billion in advertising. 
trying to get you to say what I want is something that I need. So we chase after it, we accumulate it, and then we pass it on. Statistics say that 60% of, of cases where inherited wealth has been inherited by, by someone has worked really, really hard to, to amass a large amount of quality, quality of money and where the kids that they raise uh, inherit all of this wealth and don't have to work really, really hard. Statistics say 60% of the time when in, inheritance of wealth takes place, it's all gone by the second generation. You know, you may not be a billionaire. You may not have a, a ton of money. But I see a lot of parents living as though they want to give their kids a better life than they had. That's the sole purpose of their life. I, I'm, I'm here to make sure that my kids have a better life than I did. And, went by, and by doing so, what they do is they guard them and they shield them from working hard. They guard them and shield them from any type of, of, of problem or any type of challenge. And what happens and when we do that is we, we raise kids that think they're entitled to everything. Good intentions can lead us down the road of where we are raising kids that feel like they're entitled to everything. When in reality, your role as a parent is not to, to guard your kid from everything and make sure they have a way better life and way easier life than you ever did because you are who you are because you've grown through the difficulties. And what we need to be doing as parents is not pointing our children to more possessions. Our children should see us pointing them to Jesus. Day in and day out, living lives before them, not where they, our kids say, well, what's most important to us? Well, vacation, promotions, jobs. Our kids should see us pointing them back to Jesus. I think this gives us an opportunity for a moment just to examine our hearts. It's easy for us to drift in our heart. It's easy for us because we're so bombarded by messages of have more, do more, be better, be stronger. Chasing after bigger barns. Accumulating stuff for the wrong reasons. And Ecclesiastes reminds us all this toil for material gain will only leave us vexed. You want, a, you want a quick checkup? Think through this. Are you, is life right now, your life right now, marked by annoyance? Is your life marked by irritation? Do you find yourself constantly angry? Do you find yourself exasperated? Do you find yourself upset, inflamed? Do you find yourself angry at other people? Do you find yourself not able to rest at night? that's you, then you're probably chasing after the wrong things. You're probably chasing after things of this world. You're probably running as though you're living under the sun instead of under heaven because I know the word promises is that when we live under heaven, when we live under submission, under the authority of God, it always brings peace. Peace. 
Not a, it's not a simple, easy life, but he brings peace even through times of suffering. So today, if you find yourself being vexed, take this opportunity to realign your heart with the Lord's. A realignment of our heart will move us from a hunger for more to a recognition of the provision that the Lord has given us. Which leads us to our last point today. The truth is that God shares his spoils with his people. Look at me in verse 24. King Solomon writes, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, you can eat or whatever you have, or from apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For the one who, is, who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. What we need to see here is as God is sharing his spoils with his people, uh, King Solomon makes a quick shift. Up until this point in Ecclesiastes, God himself has been scarcely mentioned. It's been more about living life and the, the difficulties of living life under the sun. But now we see this shift where Solomon is changing his view from under the sun to under heaven. He says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. You see, Solomon is saying there is a way to work and to enjoy that which has been produced from your work. He says, there is a way. There is a way to eat and to drink and to be merry and to find enjoyment in our toil. And the only way you're going to do that is if you begin to see that everything that you have and everything that you are is a gift of grace from God. That's the only way to really enjoy it. See, when we find our pleasure in what God has done, when we see that all the gifts we have come from the Father, that's when we can truly enjoy it. But he gives us, he ends this passage by giving us a, a look at two different uh, types of people. He calls them, one is the sinner and those that please God. He says, it's only those that please God that can actually really enjoy all that God has given so the question we must ask ourselves is who, is those, who are those that please God? Well, it's interesting that Solomon goes on and says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, tells us the only one that pleases God is the one who perfectly obeys God's commands. So he sets it up. He says, he, those that, if you want to please God, you have to perfectly obey his commands. He's not saying here that he, to please God is to live a good life, to live a moral life, or even to live a religious life. He's not, those things are not he's saying, but he's saying the standard is that if you want to please God, you must be perfect. How are you guys doing on that? It's an impossible standard. Right? It's impossible for you to be perfect. It's impossible for you to please God. 
And so we're stuck here in this scenario where we're like, okay, God, you have created life so that I can enjoy it, but I can't enjoy it because I can't please you. And this is where we need Jesus. Right, remember when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, when, when the voice of heaven comes down uh, from, uh, from heaven onto Jesus at his moment of his baptism, what does the word of the Lord say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, get, watch this connection because this is a beautiful thing. This is the plan of redemption that God had been unfolding from before the foundation of the earth was laid. History really bends at the cross of Christ. Because it's only Jesus that can fully please God. For in order to please God, you have to be fully obedient to God. And Jesus is the only one that's done it. Jesus came and lived a perfect life who was fully God and fully man. And in his perfect life, as he obeyed God the Father every step of the way, he came with a purpose. And his purpose was to go to a cross where a beautiful exchange was gonna take place, where this perfect spotless lamb was going to become the sacrifice for all sin for all time. In Jesus' perfection, he willingly laid down his life, surrendered the rights of his life so that he could take on your sin and my sin. The Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus took on all of the sin of the world and he endured the wrath of God. And Jesus died and then was raised from the dead. Therefore, putting to death sin, paying the penalty for sin and providing an opportunity for there to be peace with God from sinful, peace with God between a holy God and sinful man. And so it's through Jesus who pleased God that when we place faith in God, the pleasure of God that is poured out on Jesus becomes the pleasure that we can experience. It's the forgiveness that Jesus provides. It's the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us that we can have peace with God. This is the beautiful gift. And this gift is extended to the world. It's offered to the world, but only those that come to place personal faith in Jesus actually get a chance to experience this grace and forgiveness. So today, it is impossible for you to please God on your own. The only way that you're going to please God and be able to actually enjoy the things that God has created and the things that has given you, the only way to experience a vexationless life in this life is to come to place faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning point where we say, God, this is all that I am. This is all that I have. I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. You know, growing up, I grew up not in a poor home, but we lived paycheck to paycheck and times were tight. My dad in the 80s worked for Detroit Diesel. And Detroit Diesel, through the 80s, I know you guys, those that were alive, you know it was very tumultuous during that time. And my dad was constantly being laid off. And there were times in which uh, I'd go and ask mom what's for dinner, and she said vegetable soup. And what vegetable soup meant is that it was water mixed with ketchup with a, a bag of frozen vegetables that were put into the soup. That's when you knew it was bad. And I remember growing up and thinking to myself, I am not going to live this way. 
I bought into the American dream and I said, I'm gonna do whatever it takes in order so that I will never, ever, ever have to need or want anything. So I gave myself over to it. I worked really, really hard in high school. I studied hard so I could get good grades so that I could get into college. And I got into college and as they're like, hey, what do you wanna major? And I'm like, what's gonna make me the most rich? I actually said that to my counselor. What's gonna make me the most rich and what's gonna make me get it the fastest? And my counselor looked at me and she's like, accounting? (laughs) Sign me up. So I went to college as an accounting major because all I wanted to do was to make money and I was gonna be rich. I didn't want anything from anybody or need anybody for anything. I was gonna do it. And God had other plans as he always does through a series of events that's a much longer story than this. God got me to the point of I was getting ready to graduate and I changed majors because God had changed my heart. And as I was getting ready to graduate, I had some options before me. Uh, I had had a heart for missions. I had a heart for the church. I had a heart for the world still. And I was at like a crossroads of my life where I had spent time praying and fasting and saying, Lord, what is the path that you have for my life? What is your path? I'd gotten to that point of being able to say, Lord, no longer my will, but your will. And as I was navigating all of this, I went out for a run, and that's where I spent a lot of my time with Jesus, and I still spend a lot of my time with Jesus while out running. And this time I was just running, I I headed straight for like the cornfields. And so I started running, I got out of town and, and just got in the middle of the cornfields, and I'm at this stop sign. And it's at this stop sign that it's almost as though, like I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I met with God at the foot of the stop sign. Where God says, are you willing to give to me your desire to be rich? And I really wrestled with it. Do I really want to give this to him? And finally, in that moment, with weeping tears and open hands, I said, Lord, have it all. Have all of me for the rest of my life. I give you it all. I I fully surrender. I fully abandon. It's it's like that moment, you know, when you're playing cards and you're playing poker. I don't know if you play cards or whatever like that, but, but you put down those cards and you put all your chips in. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet on this hand. So I'm taking everything that I have and I'm putting it in there, not knowing what's gonna happen, but I'm going all in. That was me in that moment. And it almost also in that moment, as I lifted my hands and said, God, it's all yours, it's all for you. I'm all yours, I'm all in. He said, good, because I'm gonna make you rich, but it's gonna be in the kingdom. My desire is that you give your life so that you will see as many people possible come into the kingdom of heaven. And in that moment, I gave it all to him and I gave my life to him and I knew that I could do nothing else but to help expand the kingdom of God through serving the church. And from that moment, that's what I've been giving my life over. Not perfectly, because there's still times, and in full disclosure here, there are still times that my eyes get blinded and I think that peace and meaning are gonna be found in whatever this or whatever that is. But for us, as believers, when I ask you this question, 
is Christ really your reward? Like, is he really your, is, is he really what you're giving your passion over to? Is he really what you're giving your life over to? Is he really your reward? Or are you trying to live in two worlds? Where you're like, I want Jesus on Sunday because it makes me feel good, but the rest of the week, you're, you're chasing after the world. Are you living that schizophrenic life? I want you to understand and believe that peace is found when Christ is your reward, when all you want is Christ. That's when you're going to be at the most peace. And in Christ, in, when we live in Christ, we give our lives over to worship and to work. I'm going to end with this. I want to, to allow the message today to reframe the way you look at things. Do you know why you work? Do you know why you have the job that you have? It's your mission field. It's not, it's not God did not give you the job just so that you can make a paycheck so that you can pad your bank account. God has put you where he's put you so that you could be at work for the kingdom of God. Because when we're Christians, we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to take the mission of God into the life that God has given us. And if you're not doing that, you're being disobedient. You're missing out on the pleasure of God. You're making your work something other than God has designed it for. So it's your work, but it's also your worship. When's the last time that you stopped and you actually enjoyed the gifts that God gave you? Like you've worked really, really hard to create that backyard oasis, right? When's the last time you really enjoyed it and, and took it as an opportunity to sit back and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for the grass. Thank you, Lord, for the cool evening. God, thank you for this chair that you provided. God, thank you for the food that's in. When was the last time you did that? This has been, for me this week, this has been the most challenging thing because I found in my own life that I've stopped taking pleasure in the things that God has provided. And it's like the things that I have are managing me instead of me enjoying I've been enslaved by the gifts that God has given me instead of enjoying the gifts. So as we come to a close, have you come to know Christ? Have you come to the place where you said, you know what, I reject living life under the sun and I wanna live my life under heaven through Jesus? If that's you, man, you, all you gotta do is pray and say, God, I, I repent of my sins and I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I wanna follow him the rest of my life. And, and if you're there, then I, I want you to come talk to me after the church today. I'd love to share with you more about knowing him. But second of all, really ask yourself the question, is he your greatest prize? Are you enjoying the gifts that God has given you or are you enslaved by them? And lastly, what is the next step of surrender that God is calling you to? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. 
We thank you this morning for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and died on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you for Jesus. May he truly always be our reward. And Father, today, if there's something that's standing in the way, if we've made some horrible exchange of where we found our reward in anything other than Jesus, help us to repent of it. Help us to be aware of it, but then help us to quickly lay it at your feet and once again embrace the grace of Christ. Father, we know from your word that that's where peace, meaning, and understanding are only going to come. So Father, today and this week and for the rest of our lives, help us to truly honor you with our work and with our worship. For God, you've given us these things to enjoy your goodness. Help us to reject this pursuit of things of this world and help us to embrace a pursuit of knowing you in all that we are and all that we have. Now, Father, as we worship you, take the words that come out of our mouths and may they truly be a reflection of our hearts and may we truly give you all of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.